1: Welcome to Silmarillion Stories, where the Lorehounds, your guides to Tolkien's world of Middle-earth. I'm David.
2: I'm John, and this is our podcast on Of the Coming of Elves and the Captivity of Melkor, the fifth story in the Silmarillion.
1: In this episode, we'll be discussing the corruption of Melkor, the awakening of the elves, and the wars of the Valar.
2: Before we get started, here's a quick reminder that you can send feedback to lotr at thelorehounds.com or you can head to thelorehounds.com contact and leave us a voicemail or a contact form entry. And we'll get to those questions on the next episode. Episodes will be released one per month towards the end of the month.
1: You know, um, we love to make podcasts for our listeners. And sometimes our listeners want to thank us for that. And so we have a way for that. That is called the Patreon. Um, if you are interested in supporting what we're doing, head over to patreon.com slash thelorehounds. And for as little as three bucks a month, you can support us. You get ad-free episodes of all of our podcasts, early episodes when we get those out. Sometimes we throw in some occasional blooper reels, and we've got a whole bunch of other stuff planned. So if that sounds like something that you'd be interested in, um, head over, check it out. We would love to have your support. The community is growing, and it's really great.
2: We didn't. We hit a milestone this week. 50. Yeah, 50, 50 patrons. Very exciting. It is a few months ago. We were at zero. So I'm very happy that we have people supporting us and being a part of our community. So thank you. Yeah. Another quick ask. If you have a moment, please read and review the podcast in Apple podcast, because it really helps us move up in those rankings and find more people to geek out about talking about.
1: So March has been March madness for us. We have been covering a ton of stuff. We will have just wrapped up the last of us on HBO Mandalorian started. Ted Lasso. We've got Lorehound Plays, which is a new project where uh, John and our buddy Brandon talk about video games. We had an episode of MC Universe uh, just out with uh, our friend Jean and I. We got a ton of stuff. So at the end of the podcast, we'll have programming notes. So uh, stick around till then if you want to hear more about what we're doing and all the projects we've got going on.
2: All right, David, so back to the Tolkien universe. This is where we started, and this is where yes. we're at. So you are the first-time reader. We say this every time, but I'm going to say it again. What did you think of it?
1: This was another really interesting chapter for me. It was dense in, a, in kind of a, a, a historical standpoint, like, you know, during the War of 1812, da-da-da-da-da, right? You know, you got that. Uh And then you've got the begats in a way because, you know, like you've got, uh, they're making stars and they're waking up and the people are moving here and they're moving there. And then this group that got lost, we call them this. And then that group that would over there, we call them that. So it was really informational, informationally dense. And I didn't have as much of the flowery language or beautiful descriptions of things like like we had for the last time nonetheless it was a very interesting and informative chapter and then like there there are certain things that struck me that I was like oh that's why in lord of the rings xyz or oh this river Or you know these mountains, like you know, I mean, I know the geography changed a lot as well over the times of 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 the first, second, and into the third ages. But it still just gave me when I first read The Lord of the Rings, I was really struck with that sense of deep history embedded in the world, and I had no idea about. I don't know, you know, maybe even Silmarillion stories hadn't even been released by then. I don't know. Silmarillion was released,
2: I think. I want to say 79.
1: Okay, so it must you have been out hold, by the time on, that, hold on, hold on, hold on. All right, don't get in <laughs> trouble. Don't, don't write in, don't at us. 77, actually. All right. Okay, so. so it was definitely out by the time that I first read Lord of the Rings. Um, but I had no knowledge of it. There was no internet, right? There was no bullet board systems uh, back then. So my recollection of reading Lord of the Rings for that first time was just like, whoa, there's so much embedded in this world. And then now as a, you know, over 50 adult and, and coming into back to this world, coming back around to it, I'm like, wow, okay, here is the source for all of that feeling of how deep and big this world was. Right. And the Lord of the Rings story, which is just this one slice in this epic history that is connected to all of these other things, I suddenly could start to feel that connectivity across the ages. And so that was right. a very sort of cool takeaway I had after finishing this chapter.
2: Yeah. I mean, reading The Lord of the Rings after knowing the Silmarillion is just a completely different experience because mm. you just see more color almost.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely going to have to reread the, the three books at some point after we get through with this.
2: Well, our new lore master, Lavinia, uh-huh. actually asked us if we would do the Lord of the Rings at some point. And I think, <laughs> I mean, we haven't talked about this at all, but I think after we finish the Silmarillion, that's definitely something that I would consider.
1: Okay. That's a lot of content, though. We're a long way off from getting to around that.
2: <laughs> I just mapped it out. We're going to finish January 2025 with the
1: Silmarillion. Oh, my Lord.
2: Oh, gosh. What a time.
1: Okay. Well, we, just like... uh just like Sam and Frodo, right? You know, you just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other and, and keep moving towards your destination. Very true. John, what did you think of this? Having having, had, having read it, I don't know how many times before, and uh, rereading it for this particular recording.
2: This is probably my fourth time, I okay. think. I think. I don't know. Because the, the thing is, it's hard to keep track of because I did so much like Research, going back and, and reading... Yeah, I would go back and read a passage for the right. Rings of Power and things like that. But also, I th- this is probably my fourth like full-time through. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I uh, got the Tolkien Illustrated Silmarillion for Christmas from one of my family members. And I had not actually cracked it open until this one, where I finally remembered that I had it before I read the chapter. Mm-hmm. And I open it up, and I'm very excited. I make a cup of coffee, and I'm sitting down. The kids are asleep. And I open it up and there's no pictures in this chapter. <laughs> so I went back to the Kindle version for this. But something that I did discover is that it comes with maps of Beleriand, like like pull out wow. maps. Oh, and cool. uh, that's super helpful because that's something that I, I've always had trouble visualizing is mm-hmm. the Balerion, the the area that doesn't exist anymore in the Lord of the Rings. I think that's mm-hmm. really hard for me to contextualize. And so this has helped me tremendously. So I would recommend this for anybody. I think it's like 30 bucks. It's the Tolkien Illustrated Silmarillion, and it's actually, it has his drawings in it. J.R.R. Wow. Tolkien's drawings in it. Okay. And that's the, that's the unique part about it. It just came out last year.
1: Cool. That sounds great. So anyway,
2: aside from bindings, I had a good time with this again. Again, you, you said it right. This is a very textbooky chapter. Yeah. This is a chapter that's going to tell you the political factions that we're going to have to pay attention to as we go forward. Now... I don't want to scare anybody off. This is not going to be tested on, you know, this is, uh, this is something where this will map it out for you. This is sort of giving you the outline of who these people are and you probably won't remember. And that's okay if it's your first time and I will help you remember along the way. I will remind you who people are. And, uh, David, I saw you linked in the outline, a, uh, a flow chart. I had made a flow chart for the second age, but that's a nice flow chart for the first age elves.
1: Right. Uh, yeah. Because there was so much information about the, the elves, the different groupings and stuff that it was really, I needed a, a visual aid to, to kind of help me. And I will say, too, about this chapter, for as text heavy as it was, and, you know, tracing the history of all of these comings and goings and whatnot, it actually still was a breezy, breezy read. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I flowed through it. I didn't feel like I was weighed down. By the information Tolkien was giving, it was a, a light step. Like I, right. I just kind of like I went along, and I was just like, okay. And the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing, and I never felt like I was um, inundated with too many facts and figures, and uh, you know, so dry pie, as some some folks might say. It it was uh, still an enjoyable read for as for as calorically dense as it was.
2: And there are some good little meaningful nuggets, I will say. Even though it's a lot of facts, there's mm-hmm. a lot of cool little moral implications of things and and sure. sort of implications about the nature of peoples that I think that are very easily overlooked and things that sort of stuck out to me that didn't stick out to me the first three times. And I think that that's so fun about the Silmarillion is that there's something new to get out of it every time you read it.
1: Right. Yeah, I've got a good dozen or so highlights in my uh Kindle version. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and, made some thoughts because, or, you know, that there were things that made me think and go, huh, interesting. well, what about this? Or, you know, why that? Um, so yeah, it was engaging as well as, uh, informative.
2: Well, why don't we get into it since this is such a long and dense chapter.
1: <laughs> Sounds good.
2: So let's start with the coming of elves. Mm-hmm. Well, Ammon was filled with the light of the trees. Middle earth lay in twilight. Orome and Yavanna are the only Valar who still go to Middle-earth. Yavanna grieves because the promise of spring was stayed. She put many of her creations to sleep to prevent their aging. So this is something, again, grief is leading to beauty, right? And this right. is something that we talked about uh, with, the, with the creation of the trees, that Tolkien is, is very interested in linking grief to a future beauty, especially with all the tragedy he faced in his life.
1: Right. Yeah, and I, I think I have that noted somewhere else too. That the there is this like, how can see if I can find that uh, particular. Um, this is a little bit further into the chapter, but uh, and sorrow and wisdom have enriched it, uh, mm. which is a, a, a comment about the Quendi in their days of youth. And I thought it was really no where where in in Western North American literature and story. Do we ever talk about how sorrow and wisdom enrich beauty? Like that is not a mm. I don't know that I've ever encountered that construction before in this way. And it really gave me it really made me pause for a second. And and as you said, yeah, we've we've talked a lot about how Tolkien has brought his whole being into his writing. And there's a lot of sorrow in his being, you know, from the passing of his parents, being an orphan, you know, uh, the struggles of like trying to be a, a young man, a Catholic man in a Protestant country, falling in love with an older woman, going to war, having most of your friends die horrifically in that war and, and all of the other young men that you were around, um, and on and on. And it's all there in, in the right. And so that he is able to extract sorrow and wisdom to enrich the beauty. That's, That's wow. (laughs) I don't know. I don't have any words for that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I always love when Tolkien brings that kind of thing into here because this is Mm -hmm. just such an emotional truth of his life. And again, we talk about how Tolkien wants to bring truth out of myth, right? Myths are made to Mm -hmm. highlight and and to recognize a truth of the human experience.
1: Right. Right. Yeah.
2: Something else I noticed in this uh, passage, Yavanna has to, mm-hmm. just like her husband with the dwarves, has to put her creations to sleep. Right. And, and to await the children of Iluvatar. So let's go to Middle-earth and figure out what's going on. Okay. Melkor was ruling in Middle-earth, and he was in his fortress at Atumno in the north. He gathered his forces and sent monsters out. Melkor also created a fortress and armory in the northwest called Engband manned by our good friend, Sauron.
1: Yeah, I thought this was interesting. To know that Sauron is here and active in the world. I was like, oh, interesting.
2: Right, right, definitely. Sauron is, uh, is a big bad from the beginning. He's second mm-hmm. in command, but he's not far
1: behind. Right. And he's a di- uh, he has a different attitude uh, than his boss does. Whereas, and we've talked about this before, how his boss is sort of chaotic and destructive. Sauron wants to dominate and control, but he doesn't right. want to destroy.
2: Right. So here's a, a beautiful passage, I think, a beautiful, horrifying passage about the Balrogs that, mm-hmm. that I that stuck out to me. And in a he gathered his demons about him, those spirits who first adhered to him in the days of his splendor, and became most like him in his corruption. Their hearts were afire, but they were cloaked in darkness, and terror went before them. They had whips of flame, Balrogs they were named in Middle-earth in later days.
1: There you go. Yeah, um mm. and when we see them as mere mortals, you know, uh well, you know us as uh, um the viewers of the the fellowship trying to cross that chasm in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Uh to see that Balrog so epically created like imagine a whole army of Balrogs Terrifying.
2: Yeah. Even with the controversy about the wings.
1: Yeah, true. Right.
2: Mm. yovana after seeing the destruction of Middle Earth, rallies the Valar to ready the world for the elves. Tolkis wants to go to war, but Manway stops him from doing so.
1: Tolkis, we get Tolkis back.
2: Yeah, I, I love Tolkis. He's he's really like ha-ha, we need to go to war right now.
1: <laughs> exactly. Let's go! Hey, yeah, like, um, yeah, I, it'd be fun to... I mean, I know we don't have a lot of stories about Valar. I don't know that you could make any stories about Valar, you know, additionally. But, yeah, he is such a fun character. It would be fun to see. Or, you know, something inspired by his spirit. That would be a fun thing.
2: Yeah, definitely. I love how Yavanna goads Manway. right? She mm-hmm. goes... Shall they walk in darkness while we have light? Shall they call Melkor Lord while Manway sits upon Tanaquetto?
1: Yeah, yeah, she goads him. Like that's that's exactly the the right phrase for it. The
2: case against Manway gets stronger. He's like, they'll
1: be fine.
2: <laughs> Ugh. One of the worst rulers of all time. Just kidding. He's not that bad, but he he certainly has a lot to work on. And I think that that's pretty interesting that Tolkien makes his. King of the gods, King of the Valar, mm. a flawed character who has issues with leadership.
1: Right. Well, and the Valar, you know, they're a mixed bag. They're they're not the, you know, they they don't necessarily do a great job.
2: Yeah, they don't. Some of them do, and I mean, they they uh, they are the ones who created the world. If Melkor hadn't tainted it, it actually would have been even better. But they do wait a long time to solve their problems, which is kind of yeah. crazy.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: So Manway insists Varda will be responsible for the elves' light because that's just the plan, I guess. Mm-hmm. Varda takes silver dews from Telperion, one of the two trees, and made the stars. As a result of these efforts, she's given the honorific by the elves of Elintari, which means Queen of the Stars.
1: There was a. In, I mean, it's interesting. I'm sure. I, I, I'm not sure. I know that there are. Tolkienists out there who actually study the star stuff when they were during Rings of Power, they were comparing the text and the stars and trying to figure some stuff out. So it's really it, it was really interesting to read the creation of all of these different constellations and stars I in here. And um, I, I had to laugh at the end of this sort of recitation of all the stars. Tolkien cannot avoid... Uh, this one thing which we've always pointed our figure our, our, our fingers on, and he uh, he writes here, and uh, oh, I don't know how to pronounce this one, mm, uh, Menel ma- ma- Makar, Menel Macar, with his shining belt that forebodes the last battle that shall be the end at the end of days, and I was like, mm. oh come on, we've got to have another reference to the you know to the final days, you know, so the the whole you know Catholic you know. Uh, yeah, a thing about, you know, the the end times and then the, you know, the the reconstruction afterwards. I just had a chuckle at that little line
2: for a guy who will not write the end time story. He sure does like to talk about it a lot, a
1: lot. It's every yeah, it's constantly everywhere.
2: One other quick note is that, you know, we talk about the honorific Elantari that Varda mm-hmm. was given. But Varda given a bunch of names because oh. the elves just love to rename people. And so if you remember in the Lord of the Rings, well, this is in the in the book. I don't think it's in the movie, but in the Lord of the Rings books, Frodo uses uh, an honorific title, Elbereth Gilthoniel, to invoke Varda against the Nazgul, which makes them run away. Okay. so, yeah, I mean, her her name being invoked is powerful enough
1: to
2: send away Nazgul.
1: So there was one line, John, that that sort of jumped out at me towards the end of this, uh, uh, another line that jumped out at me at the uh, end of this recitation. And um, when it tells of Varda ending her labors and uh, the blue fire of Helion flickered in the mists above the borders of the world. And for some reason, that that blue fire of Helion just struck me as an interesting construction. I, I didn't know sort of what it means. So I did, I did a quick Google search. And on the Tolkien gateway, it says that this was um uh, the Middle-earth name for a star known that we know as Sirius, the Dog Star. Hmm. And um it was part of oh gosh, I'm going to butcher this. you Metar, the name that a- the elves gave to the constellation of Orion. Interesting. So, yeah. Um but I just love the again this it, just this linguistic construction the blue fires of Hellion flickered in the mists above the borders of the world. In that hour, the children of the war- earth awoke. It was just, it's like so evocative. Just it it tonally, his words just resonate. And then I'm thinking like, oh, blue fire. What is Hellion? Like, it, I'm just, it in, it engages me constantly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, even just the, the silver dews of Telperion, right? That's what the stars are made out of. This dew. It's Beautiful. Like, it's like a... It, it almost feels like he's, that, that she is using ink on the, on the skies, which is yeah. just, yeah, it's, it's beautiful imagery. Like, like you said earlier, like, it, this is a great literary passage, even though it's chock full of facts.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: So you mentioned that the elves awake. So when the yeah. making of the stars was complete, the elves awoke in Quiviannon. Quivienen is the Eden of the Elves. Remember, we talked about multiple Edens, iterations of Eden. Mm-hmm. It's impossible for the Elves to return there because of the changing of the world. So this is also something that um, we see that this is a dynamic world, right? The, uh, the world right. keeps changing from even from chapter to chapter when we're early on. And then right. it'll keep changing through the ages, although it slows down. One other thing, the elves named themselves the Quendi, meaning those who speak with voices.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, I mean that by implication the, the Valar the Vala. I forget the um, Valar, plural. Is
2: plural, Valar is plural, Vala is singular. That's
1: Thank you. Um, the Valar uh, the Valar must have some sort of telepathic communication. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. they're kind of surprised by the fact that the Quendi speak with voices. Even though there are sounds in the world the, this idea of language and this awakening to language is an interesting thing because, and Tolkien loved language, so it's like it's embedded in the DNA of all of his writings. This this thing about language and how language turns on a part of your being that it doesn't otherwise. Yeah, something
2: that Marilyn wrote back to us after our last Silmarillion episode is this idea that I posited from last episode where. The Valar could sort of see into each other's minds if they open up.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
2: This is called Osanwe Kenta. Okay. And it's exactly what I said. It's just, you know, you can, you can open yourself up to another being who can then sort of see your intentions, see your vibe.
1: Right. Interesting.
2: And if you close yourself off, other people get suspicious of you.
1: Right. Right.
2: And that's sort of how the Valar seem to have been communicating. So you're right, it was very surprising for them to come across these people who are just speaking.
1: Right. Yeah, and making, and making these utterances, uh, even though there's sound in the world, because uh, I think at some point, uh, Orome stops because his steed you know, whinnies and neighs. Um, so there's, there's an auditory clue there, right? Oh, it's, it's not like there's si- it's silence, but the fact that beings are speaking. That's something different.
2: Right. Exactly. Speaking of Orme, he is the hunting vala, and he happens upon the elves at Quivien and hearing them singing. Orme loved the elves and named them the Eldar, the people of the stars.
1: Yeah, this was interesting. There's uh, this quote here that jumped at me. Um, from without the world, though all things may be forethought in music or foreshown in vision from afar, to those who enter verily into Ea, each in its time shall be met at unawares as something new and unforetold. I have no idea what to make of this passage, but it's beautiful. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. See, this is what
2: I got out of it. I think this is fascinating. Okay. Is that when they are without creation, so when they were mm-hmm. making the music of the or sure, they knew the whole plan, but right. the minute they go into creation, into Ea, oh, yeah. they have imperfect memories. They right. suddenly don't remember everything. So you remember when Yavana in the last chapter went up to Manway and said, "Hey, pretty sure the ends were in the song. I sang it." He goes, "Let me think about it." Then he has to meditate, and then he goes, "Oh right. yeah, no, I see it there." Right. And even then, they they sort of get the vibe that the children are coming, but they don't know exactly when. And so the Valar are sort of nerfed the minute they go into Eä. They need to <laughs> really though. They, they like they need to. They need to recall things, they need to learn things for the first time. And I think that that's super interesting that Eru Iluvitar did that to them.
1: Right. It sort of creates this veil that they have to now, yeah, you you sort of transit this um this threshold. And when you're there, you yeah, you're changed. You can't see it all. Because if you did know it all and see it all, that would be like having the power of Luvatar in a way.
2: Right. And this so. is something that we talked about in the Second Age podcast of mm-hmm. Iluvatar wanted his children, the elves and the men, to have their own identities. He didn't want the Valar to just go make them mini Valar. He right. wanted them to right. you know, be the Quendi, be the people of language, and have their own culture, and have their own values, and be able to do things in Middle-earth. And um, I think that if, if he had given the Valar notice, hey, they're going to be in Quivianen at this time, and this is what needs to happen in that time. Now you're you're messing with free will, and that's something mm-hmm. that you're right Iluvatar is very committed to.
1: Right, right, and and yeah, like if you if the Valar knew everything and were con- managing everything, then free will would not have the space to be exercised. I guess you could say.
2: Right, right.
1: Um, I interesting to note here. It says in the beginning, the Eldar children of Iluvatar were stronger and greater. Than they have since become, but not more fair. So the the Elven, you know, beauty is still uh uh. They're they're still as fair and beautiful, but they're we're not still hot. As, That's what yeah. the writers are saying. We're still hot, <laughs> but they're not as strong um as they were when they first were created. So there's some diminution, diminution, diminution mm-hmm. um of their potency. I, I don't know how to describe it. But yeah. they're, not, yeah. they're not as vital as they were when they started.
2: Well, if we take the Silmarillion at its word, if we take this as fact and not just elvish propaganda, which I think there's an argument that it is, <laughs> um, they definitely there are definitely feats in the first age that you would never think a second or third age elf would be able to do. OK, so we'll, we'll get to it. I don't want to spoil it, but we definitely have some things where you go. An elf did that?
1: Not a Valor. OK. Got it. That's cool. That's, that's interesting to know. Again, yeah. Again, informationally interesting. Like, oh, okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Many of the Quendi feared Arame because of Melkor's monsters. They were hunted, so they feared a hunter. Melkor spread lies to cause fear of RMA, but when the Quendi saw RMA, they saw the light of Ammon in his face and, quote, all the noblest of the elves were drawn towards it. That is elvish propaganda, if I've ever seen it. <laughs> we are descendants of the noblest of elves who went with Orome,
1: Right. <laughs> Very funny. Yeah, and interesting that Iluvatar, again, you know, this whole sort of free will, and you got to let sort of things unfold, but the fact that the children are allowed to, to be hunted and harried and captured by melkor and melkor's forces you know it's eden was very short-lived here in, in this regard yeah yeah it
2: was although we don't know really where the uh, the avari went so maybe there's some people still hanging around
1: right but just the fact that, you know, they're, that, that Milkor was allowed to capture and torture and, you know, corrupt them and, and you know, put fear into their hearts, all of these things is, right. is uh, you know. But that is the—that's also a truth in our world, right? And that's, that's interesting. Here's an interesting thought, right? I mean, often people who have um, deeply held beliefs, especially around a, a monotheistic, you know, deity— Will question, well, why does our God allow for things, horrible things to happen? Right. For children to die, for natural disasters to occur where many people are killed, um, you know, and and how or or why is that? And that's just a truth of our world, right? Like, regardless of your, however you answer that question in religion, in a way, that's kind of here in this world, right? It's like, well, yeah, Iluvatar is there, and the Valar are there, but yet, you know, evil and, and terrible things still beset the people. Shall they
2: call Melkor Lord while Manwe sits upon Tenequetil? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, really the answer. Seriously. We don't even need religion, because it was just Manwe being lazy the whole time. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, <laughs> oh, you're right, though. This is something that people wrestle with, especially Tolkien as a Catholic, and mm-hmm. even his friend C.S. Lewis wrote a whole book about this, The Problem of Pain, where yeah. he where he tried to figure out, like, why would in my religion, I have a loving God, why would this God allow this pain to happen? Exactly. And that's a hard question that no one has ever been able to solve.
1: Right. And we see some, I don't know, I kind of see some, th- some of that here in in this story. You know, that that the for whatever reason, you know, uh, bad things happen to good people. Like, the elves are innocent at this stage, right? And they're right. Iluvatar's firstborn. And yet, He allows terrible things to befall them. I mean, they, well, right, the next section here, right, uh, uh, where they get taken and and corrupted into orcs.
2: Right. Yeah. So we learn that those who were captured by Melkor were likely corrupted and turned into orcs. Melkor could not create life, but he could corrupt it. And there's a line that that says, I don't have the exact wording, but this was the most hateful act to Iluvatar that Melkor ever did.
1: I have this here. This, is, uh, this. it may be, was the vilest deed of Melkor and the most hateful to Iluvatar. Yeah.
2: I will note here, too, and we've discussed this in the Second Age, that Tolkien wrestled with this. This yeah. was not necessarily his for sure the orcs came from elves theory, but it is the theory that uh, Christopher selected for the Silmarillion, so that is the traditionally canon theory. Tolkien did have some issues with the idea that a being could corrupt you away from your free will and turn you to evil. Uh I think that was the issue with it. It was uh, was a tricky thing. It was a tricky thing. And then the idea... The the other question is, then, can an orc be redeemed? Who knows?
1: Right. And um, I think they are... The showrunners for the Rings of Power have certainly opens this conversation with the character. Remind me the name. It's been a minute since. uh, Yeah. With Adar. Who
2: was recast.
1: Right. We know. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a production thing. Um, but with Adar, right. The, you know, in the, you know, they were calling him father and, and, uh, now what they do in the show with the storyline and the character, who knows, but the idea that, that Adar could be one of these sort of corrupted elves um, is a fascinating element in the story overall, and then they're bringing it to us on the screen. So we have yet to see what they're gonna, where they're going to go with that.
2: Right. And just the idea that the lies of Melkor were enough to mm-hmm. stoke fear into the elves and keep a lot of them from the Valar.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were some, there's beautiful passages here about beautiful in a, in a sort of a terrible way of um, how they were afraid of Orome um, because of the sort of the dark shadows that would fly across the sky and, uh, you know, creatures in the forest. And so they see this guy on, on this, you know, on this steed and they're like, whoa, we just he looks uh, like all of this other scary stuff that we've seen.
2: Well, and and the idea is, I I said this in my summary, but they were hunted, so they feared a hunter, right? Exactly. So Melkor was just taking, he was hunting elves that were getting too far away from their communities. Yeah. And and, and then, basically, Melkor creates this faceless, nameless villain, the hunter. And because of that, because they have not actually seen Orme, because they have not actually met Orme, he's so terrifying to them. Right. And then when they finally go face-to-face with him, and they, they meet see the him, light. Yeah. they see the light. And I think that maybe Tolkien's trying to say, you know, sometimes we fear something just because it's foreign, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, and sometimes when we see that thing face-to-face, we realize it was not the villain after all.
1: Right, right. Interesting. All right, well, why don't we take a
2: quick break, and when we get back, we'll get into the captivity of Melkor. And we're back. David, are you ready to talk about the captivity of Melkor?
1: Yes, because I want to get someday to the unchaining of Melkor. Mm. Uh, but yeah, first Anthony. we have to capture him. Yes, exactly. We're going to do that, I think, in June. Um, Maester Anthony is going to be our guest uh, for that chapter. He was pretty keen on that chapter, so uh, that should be a fun conversation. I've just booked another
2: guest, too. Oh, you did? Great. I did. For September, we're going to have tea with Tolkien on.
1: Oh, lovely.
2: Very exciting.
1: And we have um, talking about Tolkien, uh, Mary Clay as well next month. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. the show.
2: We got a lot of people coming on. We, we, we try to have some friends in Spice the Tolkien up, community and share some voices. And uh, I hope that people like it because I like these people. So Arame returned to Valinor to tell the Valar about the elves. The Valar were happy to hear of the coming of the children of Iluvatar but now had the problem of them being stuck in Melkor's world. After meditation, Manwe determines that Eru's will is that the Valar should retake Middle-earth. The Valar go to war, defeat, and capture Melkor. I love the idea that Manwe is so hesitant to retake Middle-earth, and then finally, the elves are suffering enough, and he goes into meditation mode for five minutes, and is like, yeah, all right, let's do it.
1: He long he sat long in thought upon Tanaquetal and sought the counsel of Iluvatar. Yeah, is it, this almost a Buddha thing? It's very, very interesting. This whole meditative side of Manway uh, again, something that I don't, I don't recall seeing or or encountering in other fantasy novels. Where like the king of the gods here has to, me- go into a meditative state to hear. The instructions from the divine, you know, Lord, uh, as it were. In this paragraph here, where it says, you know, that where Manwe went to meditate, um, it ends with, and coming then down to Valmar, he summoned the Valar to the Ring of Doom. And uh, thither came even Olmo from the Outer Sea. What is the Ring of Doom?
2: Oh that's basically the the Valar's court, right? This is oh, okay. this is where they have they they hold court there, right? They they're like, "Okay, what do we do here? Doom is in fate, right? We've talked about yes, that before. Okay. It's not yeah. really like doom. It's it's like doom, what's going to happen?"
1: Okay. I I you know, I I know that that definition of of doom, but then I just, you know, the construction of Ring of Doom and then I know, I'm thinking I know. like what what is this Ring of Doom thing? Cuz obviously we have rings in in, in another context and i wasn't thinking of like a an actual piece of jewelry as such but like you know what is the ring of doom because don't they bring melkor back to the ring of doom later so he,
2: yeah he there's a whole thing he he's got to get thing. chained up right <laughs> never did melkor forget that this war was made for the sake of the elves and that they were the cause of his downfall mm. and neither did sauron right
1: <laughs>
2: which is fascinating because they didn't even know what was going on, right? They didn't ask for the Valar to come. Mhm. They were fine in Quivien and I mean they had some their issues of getting, you know, kidnapped, but other than that, they were fine and they didn't ask the Valar to come and they came, they solved the problem for them, but Melkor blames the elves. He he thinks in his head, if the elves never came, I had a good thing going here in Middle-earth. I could have just stayed here.
1: mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah. Uh but for, well I mean it was these are Iluvatar's children, so you're, you're really messing with uh, God's grand plan here. So, yeah, you're, you're yeah. going to pay. You're going to pay the, you know, there's, there's a price to be paid here for your actions.
2: I mean, if Melkor hadn't been kidnapping them and turning them into orcs, yeah, the Valor exactly. might have left them, left them alone, right? If he, right. Had, if he had been like, well, you know what? We had our fun destroying Middle-earth, but now the children are here, and I'm going to be a benevolent ruler of Middle-earth. I bet you Manway would have been like, well, he's behaving.
1: Right. He's playing his dissonant music, but he's not sort of, uh, you know, hurting the kids. As long as you do it in the house. (laughs) This there's a huge passage in here about the geographic changes that occur. Yeah, It's it's wild. Uh, Like, I had no concept uh, from as a beginning reader of, you know, in Lord of the Rings that like, Tolkien's world is upended how many times? 2 3 times at least.
2: Many, many, many. Yeah. And we're not done
1: yet. No, we're not. There's still more to come. Uh many lesser bays were made between the Great Gulf of and Helcarax in the far north. I mean, like it goes on and on. Like there's for like there's a whole passage about creating the stars and there's All these other stuff. And then there's this whole passage about how the the world is remade. It's it's wild.
2: Right. And Valinor gets sundered, right? Valinor Mm -hmm. becomes way farther from Middle-earth than it was. Yeah. So this is is where it became really hard to get to Valinor without the help of the Valar. So one other point. Many wars were fought, but because the elves were sheltered from it, they did not know anything about them. Yeah. Very interesting is that these, again, are... Histories written by the elves these are supposed to be animals mm-hmm. of the elves and so of course they can't tell you exactly what happened and and just think about how many wars happened here mhm it's you know many wars were fought and this is the second round of that because pr- apparently many wars were fought before the elves even came in, in and earlier i think in the valaquenta it was
1: it's interesting the definite like battle versus war right, right. uh so many wars i mean that's uh, you think of war as a bigger scale than a battle, right? Right. So many wars. I mean, the the Valar and and Melkor must have masses of resources at their dispose, at their collective disposal to be able to having these many wars.
2: Right. Well, and then, I mean, here's the question: Is how long did the first stage really last? Because Oof. You know, that we have the years, yeah. but those aren't really... There's a lot of debate as to when the years really start and to mm-hmm. also, like, like how did time work in the years of the trees? There's a lot of debate on that. Uh, Tolkien, if you read, like, the nature of Middle Earth and, and the history of Middle Earth, there's a lot of back and forth of one tree year might be a thousand regular years, et cetera. It's, it's a whole thing. And especially when you have the line later that Melkor was sent... Uh, I'll just say it now. Melkor was brought to the Ring of Doom and sued for pardon, but did not receive it. He was imprisoned for three long ages.
1: Right? What? Right.
2: Because we just learned that you know we're we're in the first age, but then we, we have so I think where we have mostly settled is the year of the years of the trees are sort of before the first age, but they're part of the first age in some ways. You talk about it, it's 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 hazy here.
1: Yeah, it's deep history. It's it's big history. It's it's well beyond, well well beyond the the comprehension of mortal scale, right? Right. Like we just cannot conceive. We just we can't conceive of the life of the universe, right? right? We can talk about billions of years and you know uh, you know big bangs and all of these kinds of stuff. That's just intellectual whatever like that we don't really have a real sense of how big or how long things have been going on from our little time slice perspective so yeah this history of melkor is i i think what you know at least i'm taking away it was like it's a massive time scale far beyond the ability for me to you know uh to deal with and so i just have to read it sort of in this poetic shortened form
2: right and also we don't have any beings that are not immortal yet so i guess nobody mm-hmm. cares <laughs> Fair enough. something i thought that was interesting too i'm going to backtrack a little bit to the actual capture of melkor yeah is that very similarly to the creation of the trees this is a collaborative effort to defeat melkor yes. between several mm-hmm. of the Valar. so Tolkis wrestles melkor and ali's chain binds him
1: and casts him upon his face. I was like, that's a very strange thing to to write. Like he, they like Tolkis put his face in the dirt.
2: <laughs> yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. Tolkis is the jock, I'm telling you. He's completely. just completely. Yeah. He'll give you a swirly.
1: For big time. Wedgies and swirlies for everyone. And Owley's chain has a name. <laughs> it does. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. Anganor, Angan, Anga, Ang, oh, boy. I'm not even going to do it. I'm sorry. Right. I apologize to all our, our Tolkien readers out there. Um, I tried, but um, I'm not going to try any harder.
2: <laughs> Your apology is accepted. Thank so you. yeah, so Melkor is, is imprisoned, And yeah. <laughs> we'll see how long that lasts.
1: And Sauron, they did not find.
2: Right. So he's going to still be wreaking havoc and, and causing mischief in Middle-earth.
1: Um yeah, you know when you you said earlier about the the Ring of Doom and his prayers were denied. Um I, this is a line that struck me in the fastness of Mandos, whence none can escape, neither vala nor elf nor mortal man. So Mandos's halls, his his function is inescapable. If you're in yeah. within his realm, you know, whatever his control or whatever that's it. That's where you are.
2: Right. Right. That, now, I mean, thought that
1: was really interesting.
2: Yeah. I mean, he can let you go, but mm-hmm. there's only one man that was ever done for. And we'll get to that. And, okay. then, and as far as elves, they can be reincarnated. But that's a whole other thing. And we can get to that as we go when we see elves who are per- perhaps reincarnated.
1: But this is just such a, a fascinating insight into Mandos's function and the mechanics of, of what Mandos does, right. right? You know, you may get sent to the halls of Mandos fine because you got died, you died in battle, you died of old age or whatever, so be it. But that is, that is without, you know, you can't break what Mandos is you right. know, or, or, or what his, his, you know, neither Vala or elf nor mortal man, right? So right. Mandos is a, a force of nature in, in that regard.
2: Right. He'll tell you when you can go. He'll tell you when, when yeah. uh, the men can go to the, the land beyond and when the exactly. elves can get reincarnated and when Melkor can be free of his chains. So the great journey. This is what we call the journey of the elves to Ammon from Quivienen,
1: And it was a this rough a time. Long. Yeah. Yeah.
2: The Valor saw the destruction of Middle-earth. They needed to decide what to do with the elves while Ulmo and the others wanted the elves to be free to heal Middle-earth, Manwe and his council decided to invite the elves to live with them in the west. Yeah. What do you think about this debate? Ulmo, who is the water vala, says, look, they're already in Quivianon, which is a, a watery place. Maybe, maybe Ulmo was like, I could visit them there. Uh, he, he's all for them going to... Uh, to, to forge their own way, right? To Mm -hmm. heal Middle-earth with their own powers. I think that's how they say it. And Manway goes, no, no, let's just solve the problem ourselves. It's, it's almost to teach a man to fish versus give him a fish, right?
1: Yeah, but, but then he's like, but we want the children here with us and we want, you know, you know, if these are Iluvatar's children and they want to delight in them and delight in, in Iluvatar's creation, and they want them over here, I don't know, uh, that, that's almost selfish in a way?
2: It is. I do think that this was a mistake, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I mean, and here, it, uh, the, uh, a line in this paragraph, uh, from this summons came many woes that afterwards befell. Right. And so even, right, it's just laid out right there, like this choice to call them caused a whole bunch of problems.
2: The case against... Manway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's growing stronger. It's growing
2: I need stronger. a court TV sound. Maybe I'll yeah, work right.
1: on that. <laughs> yeah, we need like the law and order sound. King, king. Something that struck me with this line after this sort of debate thing here is, th- is that this statement, though, and again, I mean, I, th- I think it's, it's, it's well to take in the point that this is supposedly elvish um, uh, a retelling, right? A point of view of the, of the elves retelling history but that many woes afterwards befell, That doesn't that assume that there's some sort of right answer that the Valar should have made, that they made the wrong choice? And I couldn't help but think as um, a parent, one of the things that I've come to the understanding is, is no matter what I do, no matter how much I love my kid, uh, and no matter how much I sort of, create space for them to grow and to thrive and, and be healthy. I'm going to mess them up, right? Like there's going to be stuff that I do that's going to, you know, mess them up in some years way. Like of therapy, years of therapy. Same <laughs> like with my parents, you know, I, I wish no ill will on my child. My parents wish no ill will, but, but there's that, that fracturing, that, that separation that the, you know, it just, it is an inevitable thing where, when child separates from parent, there's gonna be these these ruptures and, and and you're gonna do things that you didn't know that you did that impacted them in some way. So in a way, I don't think the Valar, yeah we you know, Manway's Manway and he has his he has his ups and downs as we like to, you know, mess with him on. But I don't think that there's I don't think what the whatever the Valar, what I'm trying to say is no matter what the Valar chose there would have been woes that afterwards befell. I think that's right. There's no right answer here.
2: Yeah, because Sauron's still in Middle-earth, so are the Balrogs and all these other servants of Melkor. It's not like it's mm-hmm. a great place to live. It's, it's certainly destroyed. I do think that there's an argument to be made that, you know, Ula was right and they should have helped the, the elves settle Middle-earth and, and mm-hmm. sort of branch out and heal the world a little bit more. Especially because the elves, many of them as we're about to discover, did stay in Middle Earth and it was fine.
1: Right. Right.
2: So yeah. I mean, I guess if we're going to defend Manway, which I almost refuse to do, he did give them a choice, right? He sent Mm -hmm. Orme to invite them, not to kidnap
1: them. Right. It wasn't ordered that you'll come. We're We're just requesting you come.
2: Right. And I don't think evil came out of that. I think evil comes out of something that happens later which is i think when he says don't go now
1: well let's let's look at this sentence here again from this summons came many woes right so it's not like many evils befell or bad you know just through the course of life you're going to experience woe aren't you don't we you know would you woe too (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, life is full of woe, isn't it? So no matter what you what do... What a note to to move on with, David. I'm moving on now. <laughs> life is full of woe.
2: Orome brought the summons to the elves. There are three kings of the elves, Ingwe, Finwe, and Elwe, and they are invited to see Valinor. They love the place.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I just had to laugh at the three kings thing. Uh, you know, just just very christ story right
2: yep yeah. also i mean just threes are great in christianity right of that's course a big, yeah that's a big thing you know the holy trinity whatever so they love the place right they they go they uh they go back to the elves and they say hey this is great we should all go there and so the elves begin their journey but not all of them some were willing to make the journey and those were called the eldar which remember uh before oramay Named them all the Eldar, but the Eldar end up being just the subgroup of elves that at least attempt to go to Valinor.
1: This is where having those charts, these visual charts, is just really helpful.
2: Right. And so that's why when we talk about the full group of all elves, we're going to say Quendi. Or just elves. That's fine. Mm -hmm. And then the subgroup that tried to go all the way west is the Eldar. Others, though, were more doubtful, and those were called the avari, which means the unwilling. Mm -hmm. The division of the Eldar beyond this is based on how far they got on the trip. And something about the avari, I'll say, is we basically never see them again. We don't know what happened to them after this, so you can just let that term go right out your brain.
1: And uh, Tolkien never said anything about them? Pretty much no,
2: yeah. Okay. In fact, people were hoping that they were going to do the avari in the rings of power. And then they just went with the Sylvan elf instead.
1: Boy, that would be an interesting thing, you know, somewhere to bring the Avari back in somehow. That would be pretty cool. I mean, yeah, if it were done badly, like, (laughs) woe, woe, woe unto you. Uh, But if you did it good, that would be something amazing to, to see this, this like long lost group of, of elves reconnected and what that would entail. That would be a wild story. Tell me a new story.
2: You know, don't don't just uh, mess with what we already have. Yeah. So who is ready to get on with the different groupings of elves? (laughs) Bring out the flow charts, everyone. Yes, exactly. Again, go to the link in the description. You will find a flow chart and it will be much easier for you to follow this. The first group I'm going to go through are the Vanyar which means the Fair Elves. Their leader was Ingwe. They made it all the way to Ammon, all the way to where the Valar are, and they stayed there. The Noldor are the Deep Elves. Their leader was Finwe. They made it all the way to Ammon, again where the Valar are, but they eventually leave, which we'll discuss later. The Teleri is the biggest group. Those are the Sea Elves. They will later be subdivided into other groups, Their leader was Elway, and then Olway, his brother, will eventually lead them. These leaders, by the way, are not as important either. I mean, I I would remember Finway, I guess. Elway will come into play under a different name next month. Some of the Teleri made it to Ammon, and some of them did not. And we'll divide them, again, based on how far they went, who they live with, where they live, etc. Are we good so far, David?
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I got this chart here. It's uh, that's the only thing that's keeping me uh, oriented.
2: (laughs) Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, the Vanyar don't come too far into the story. There's only some interaction with them because they're they're going to be in Ammon the whole time. The Noldor are going to be the main characters of this story. Right. Yeah. The Teleri are involved too. some some uh, subdivisions of them, especially. But mostly the Noldor are going to be your heroes and villains of this story. Got it. Big distinction now between those who saw the light and didn't. We call those who saw the light the Caliquendi, and those who did not see the light as the Moriquendi, which again are subdivided into the right. Umanyar, who <laughs> meant to see the light and did not, and the Avari, who were unwilling to see the light. All of those terms that I just said in this last part—the Caliquendi, the Moriquendi, the Umanyar, and the Avari—will never come up again.
1: Right. They're just not included in any story.
2: Right. I mean, just remember if they saw the light or not. You know what I mean? Just, just remember that the Noldor saw the light. Some of the Teleri did. We'll, we'll, we'll remind you as we go forward who saw the light and who didn't. And you won't have to remember Calaquendi or Moraquendi. So crossing the Anduin, the Great, and the Misty Mountains. The Teleri waded east of the mountains while the Vanyar and the Noldor crossed them. One of the Teleri led a group away, which became the Nandor. Later, another group crossed the mountains from the Nandor. The Vanyar and the Noldor crossed over the Blue Mountains and named the western part of Middle-earth Beleriand. Eventually, the Teleri were pushed by Elway to join the other elves in Beleriand. All you need out of that is, many of the elves went to a new place in the west, which is the westernmost part of Middle-earth, called Beleriand. This is a place that does not exist in the third age, or the second age, really, and uh, it's the the main part of where our story is going to take place in the Selmarilia now.
1: Right, I have to say when you know when I said at the beginning that feeling of getting connected between this deep history and then the Lord of the Rings sort of history, uh, it, it was really here this the, the crossing of the Anduin and the and the great Misty Mountains, and it was suddenly like oh. Things were starting to click and connect in in a in a in a particular way, and, and it was really here where I felt that larger world engagement, um, and and that's when this whole chapter really altered, you know, kind of twi- it it altered for me, my my perception of this whole chapter altered right in this moment of of going, oh, here is a here maybe it was because it's familiar landmarks or familiar sounding landmarks. Well, now that
2: we've gotten west of the Misty Mountains, we're not going back for another few thousand years.
1: Yeah, more or less. So anyway, that's pretty much the story, guys. Did you have fun? Uh, yeah. I, I, like, like I said, it was, um, it, it was engaging. It was uh, very, very informationally rich.
2: Very cool. So if this felt like a textbook reading to you, as it may have, take heart, because next month we are reading... Of Thingol and Melian, which is much more of sort of a fairy tale. It's sort of a fable almost. It's a okay. lot lighter reading. It's, it's a lot more fun. And we have a guest, so you won't just hear us rambling about it for two hours. <laughs> I think it's time we go to feedback, David.
1: Sounds like a good plan. If you want to send us feedback, we really would love to have your feedback. You can send it to lotr at thelorehounds.com. Uh, Or you can head over over to thelorehounds.com, to our website, and there on the contact page, there's a form. You can fill that out, or you can leave us a voicemail. Or you could even jump on our Discord and uh, leave us a message there or get into conversation, and we can rope that into our feedback sections as well. Very cool. So first up, we have some feedback from Marilyn R. Pukila, our favorite Tolkien scholar and we're excited to have her in uh, involved in our Earthsea project.
2: We're also excited to have her on in August 2024 for of Turin Bar, <laughs> which she has claimed over a year in advance.
1: <laughs> she has totally claimed that one. So, sorry, folks, if you wanted to jump in on that one, you got to talk to Marilyn about it. All right, uh, Marilyn says I was amused that my pronunciation was a topic of con- for conversation for one listener. Let me say that it was only 3 years ago that i began to struggle to learn how to tap, roll and or trill my r's through a series of group finish lessons on zoom. Okay, so this is reference to a feedback that we had last episode where somebody wrote in to to uh, to make mention of how to pronounce words, you know, how uh, Tolkien's uh, guide for pronunciation and stuff, and they referenced uh, Marilyn and her ability to do these cool um, R-rollings. So she said, she continues, virtually all Finnish R's are rolled, and learning Finnish was one of my retirement goals. So the in-Zoom lessons from two different teachers layered with Duolingo helped me, and we're not sponsored by them, by the way, helped me achieve it, though it took a few years and I'm still working at it. Having it apply to Tolkien as well is an added bonus, and I will confess to some pride at being able to do it now, but I do apologize to all listeners who find it distracting or worse.
2: <laughs> I love when she rolls her R's. I mean, it mm-hmm. makes me feel like I don't know how to say words, but it's it's great to hear. I mean, that's clearly how it's supposed to sound. So thank you, Marilyn.
1: Yeah, it's... it's um Interesting, because Tolkien was such a lover of language, and we do so, uh, gloss over is not the right word, but we just sort of blow past a lot of that detail around pronunciation and the way that language sounds. And we're very modern in our ways around that. So hearing an approximation of what Tolkien would have wanted it to sound like is, is pretty cool. Yeah, definitely.
2: Funny, though, that Tolkien was an indistinct speaker, reportedly, so it was kind of hard to understand him when he was in a mood of explaining things. Okay. Kind of funny that he was such a linguist, and then he would be like, blah, blah, blah.
1: Interesting. So, friend of the pod and lorehound Patreon, E. Hoop, uh, writes in and says, might I suggest, when the schedule is updated... That the darkening of Valinor and the flight of the Noldor be crammed into a single month? Christopher Tolkien reads those two chapters together, and it's easily available on YouTube. He does the best reading you'll find of the Silmarillion, full stop. It's tragic that he didn't do the whole book, but he does also do uh, Barian and Luthien. Um, He's got more to say, but first, let's uh, think about that. What do you think, John?
2: I already did that, so I, I, I took oh, okay. your suggestion, E. Hoop, and when I was <laughs> there, you go because I finally did the rest of the schedule. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to put the whole thing in the show notes just in case things change, but also because I don't want a seven page show note. <laughs> but yeah, no, I I I, I followed your suggestion, E. Hoop, after looking into it. We are going to do those two chapters together. So thank you.
1: Nice. And did you check out the YouTube with Christopher Tolkien? I did not yet, but I definitely will. Okay. Should we throw that into our show notes? Sure. Okay. We'll we'll find that and we'll we'll throw a link in at the bottom. All right. E Hoop continues. Also, while I wouldn't presume to even hint that you get more aggressive with the schedule so we can hit uh, Akalabeth before Ring of Power Season 2, I'd recommend to anyone that after Silmarillion, Kyrian and Aoral, thank you, from Unfinished Tales, and Appendix A from Return of the King are super beautiful reads and really flesh out the historical events, Me, uh, e.g. the founding of Rohan and the Goblin Wars, of which Bilbo's older companions were veterans, and which tells us a lot about both the dwarves and the goblins in the Hobbit. Cool. Yeah,
2: so about, about uh, making it the schedule more aggressive, we cannot right now. We're just we're just too busy with other shows right now. But uh note taken, I mean I wish I wish we could go through this faster. But also at the same time, I'm kind of enjoying doing a really slow burn with the Silmarillion, yeah. which I, mm-hmm. I normally don't do because I'm so eager to like move on and see where the story goes. But I don't know. It's kinda nice to just take a back seat for a minute.
1: Leisurely pace. You know, and it has the upside too that people who are reading along I mean, we're all busy in, in life these days, and so it's nice that we're not um, pushing a hard schedule because it, it can be difficult for people to keep up reading. So, And it only takes you two and a half years to finish the Silmarillion. <laughs> we're really stretching it out. All right. From the Discord, Severin uh, says that they're rewatching the Lord of the Rings trilogy and had a quick question. Why are the Nazgul afraid of water?
2: Yeah, so there's a passage, I think it's in the Ainulindale. I answered this on the Discord, too. If you want real-time feedback, head on to our Discord link in the show notes. But anyway, in the Ainulindale, there's a passage where basically the music of the Ainor is still within the waters. Because, you know, Ulmo is going in and out of the waters. And water is, for some reason, more difficult to corrupt for Melkor. Uh-huh. And uh, then also Tolkien, you know, he's a fan of folklore. And, and uh, evil beings having trouble crossing running water is a thing. So yeah, there's there's sort of an in-world and an out-of-world explanation. Like he he liked the folklore thing, but also the the water seems to be more pure, less, less easily corruptible by Melkor, and Ulmo is in and out of the waters, which is pretty cool.
1: Okay. So that's it for feedback for this podcast. Again, write into us, L-O-T-R at thlorehounds.com, or jump over to our website and use the contact form or voicemail feature there. Um, we would love to get your feedback. Part of the joy of doing the podcasting is this sort of asymmetric interaction that we get with you guys. So definitely send us in your questions, your thoughts, things that you're interested in passages. If there's a sentence that you would like us to read on air and you can sort of give us a, maybe why that, you know, that particular sentence or paragraph really struck you. Yeah, we, we want to solicit as much of your feedback as possible. So send it in.
2: Well, David, I think we need to do our Patreon shoutouts now. We do. We have three tiers for our patrons, and uh, special thanks to all of our Patreon subscribers, but our top subscribers pay $10 a month, which, again, we, we still uh, act in disbelief, and yet this, this <laughs> army keeps growing. We can't even keep up with it. We have Samartian Cyrus, Mark H., Michael G., Michelle E., David W, Brian P, Nick W, SC, Peter O, Bettina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Lavinia T. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow. I mean this I I needed a glass of water after that list.
1: This is uh we're at uh, 14 uh lore masters uh so far and this at the time of the recording, you know, who knows what'll happen by the end of the month when the, when this is released. So really Thank you all so very much for being part of this community and uh, for contributing to John and I being able to do this. We're having a lot of fun and we're really grateful that you guys want to express your gratitude to us in by being supporters. So thank you.
2: Absolutely. And I'll say our Patreon has been a lot more conversational lately, and I appreciate that. It's been great. I feel like we've been just chatting with you guys with the comments. So thanks. Thanks. Keep sending them in. I'm having fun with it.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. All right, John, let's talk a little bit about uh, programming notes. It's a little bit hard because we're recording earlier in the month, and this is going to come out later in the month. But what we've got going on right now is where uh, we should have wrapped up by now on The Last of Us on HBO. So far, it's been a great season. Our season wrap-up podcast should drop on the 21st of March. Um, and it's, it's been awesome. So like, we're really glad we covered that. You and our friend Brandon the Bard have a new project. Do you want to talk quickly about Lorehound's play? Because it actually dovetails into the wrap-up of The The Last of Us.
2: Yeah, actually, we're doing a coverage of the game, The Last of Us Part 1, which is what season one of the show is based on. And we meant to do one hour-and-a-half to two-hour podcast, and we got through half the game in two hours. So we had to stop recording that night because we were all very sleepy at that point. <laughs> and uh, we're going to do a two-parter. We're going to do a, a two-podcast review of this game because it's just so dense and so rich.
1: And what are you doing? Are you kind of doing it like we do with a television show, where you're sort of breaking uh, different pieces down and, and giving reactions? Or tell us a little bit more about how this, the podcast is going to structure.
2: Yeah, so we, we basically give a high-level overview of the plot and, and in sections. And then in each section, we talk about different sequences that were interesting, the gameplay, the character moments, et cetera. So, yeah, and, and we talk about the production details. So it is very similar to how we cover a show, but we're just covering a game. And the goal with the Lorehounds play is not to just talk about video games as video games, but it's to talk about these video games with rich stories Got and it. with rich character moments and that really leave an impact on you and make you think. So this month, we're doing The Last of Us Part 1. Next month, we're going to be doing... Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order to tie in with the Mandalorian. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun, too.
1: And speaking of the Mandalorian, we have just started Mandalorian season three. So that'll be in full swing by the time this podcast drops. And so we'll be covering that weekly. Uh, So look for those podcasts on Thursday, I think, is roughly when we're trying to get those out. We also will be wrapping up Bad Batch. And I really want to talk about Visions as well when we get to our wrap up of the bad batch season season 2 nice um so far bad batch season 2 has been really interesting they've really gone some places with the plots and the bad batch they're they're like really all over the universe and and getting into involved in a lot of stuff so there's going to be a lot to talk about there for the back half of that season and then if you don't know about visions visions is a really interesting project where disney has licensed the star wars concept out to a whole bunch of different animation studios all around the world. And so these are these really wild alternate takes on what the Star Wars universe uh, is perceived by these different animation houses. And there's these little stories and vignettes. Some of them are quite big in scope. Some are are quite focused. Uh, Some of them are really good. Some of them are not so good. Um, But Vision season two is about to drop. Uh, And I think if you're into the Star Wars world, or even or if you're just into animation and anime then visions is a a really interesting exploration of the Star Wars IP in this different way. So I really want to talk about that. Yeah. If I am not clear that I want to talk about it.
2: It's kind of cool when they free you from the constraints of canon, you can just do what you want. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I'm cool. I'm reading the Darth Bane novels right now, which is another mm-hmm. Legends non-canon story and I'm just like this is so fun to just sort of let go of the constraints of, I need everything to be internally consistent.
1: Skywalker, Vader, yeah. Force, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. Very cool. Ted Lasso is also in full swing by the time this comes out, uh, season three, final season. We will be covering it. We're not quite sure exactly our our uh, format for it, but stay tuned for... Um, our takes on this because I think it's going to be a really juicy season. I'm really looking forward to this. Me too. And I think we'll have some fun covering uh, the show. Yeah. Um, Jean and I finally got around to reconnecting and recording our uh, podcast for the, our next MC universe. And that's where we talk about uh, quantum mania and the Ant-Man, not as a movie review, but sort of a meta context and looking at Kang and what Kang's going to be bringing to phase five. We get into talking about some of the characters that we're going to be see uh, that we're going to see emerging in phase five, and we talk about some of the meta context uh, uh, or not meta context. Sorry, that's not right. The deeper themes that we're starting to see emerge in this next phase of storytelling. So that was a lot of fun.
2: I'm looking forward to editing it tomorrow. Yay! Second breakfast should be out already for our patrons. That's where we discuss a bunch of things that we're reading and playing and watching. And we're talking about coffee this month, and I'm excited. I used to be a barista, and I have some fun stories. I, I made a note for you that I want to talk about the story of Pirate Tom uh, on, Pirate on this, Tom. And, and I have not given you any context, so I'm hoping that it lands.
1: None whatsoever. Yeah. We're having a lot of fun.
2: Cool. Earthsea, we're covering it with Marilyn Arpukila, our favorite Tolkien scholar on the book, Nook. that'll be on this feed as well. Silmarillion stories you've just heard the March version and next month we are doing of Thingol and Melian with Mary Clay from that's what I'm talking about great chapter it's going to be really fun Silmarillion stories in June we'll have a guest Maester Anthony of Feanor and the Unchaining of Melkor we were on electric Bukaloo on the bald move hot D feed so check that out if you missed us and we'll be on Bookaloo again in April, on April 13th, I think, uh, covering another chapter from a, ch- a Clash
1: of Kings. Ooh, John, March Madness for the Lorehounds. I don't know what we're doing, man. This, is, this just happened. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, well, there's just shows that we couldn't say no to. Uh, Ted Lasso, Mando, uh, and then we've got all of these other cool side projects that we're doing. And I think one of the fun things that we're doing, too, is, is that we're bringing in some different voices. Agreed. And- um, and teaming up with some different people to, to cover some fun stuff. So Marilyn, Jean, uh, Brandon. Um, yeah, it's, it's wild. Uh, and it's all thanks to you guys. The Lorehound's
2: empire grows.
1: <laughs> well, on that note, check out our Patreon if you want to support us. Otherwise, you know, feel free to enjoy the ad-supported podcasts. Thank you for listening. Uh, stay tuned. As always, rate, like, and review. If you want to chat with us and other like-minded members of the Lorehounds community, hit us up in the Discord, link in the show notes below.
2: And don't forget to read of Thingol and Melian so that you can hear us with our guest, Mary of That's what I'm talking about next month. Thanks, everyone. The Lorehounds podcast is produced by the Lorehounds and published by Bald Move. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash the Lorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening.
0: A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning.